Hello and welcome to JLGB Virtual We Are Live. As part of JLGB's recent adjustments to the coronavirus lockdown, we have been helping parents and young people stay entertained and active all online. In order to adapt our delivery to the government restrictions, on the 23rd of March, we launched JLGB Virtual, which runs every Monday to Thursday evening. This is our way of ensuring that we can continue to delight, inform and entertain young people so that they can have some fun, learn new skills and make a difference. Sessions include skills like magic, upcycling and coding. Physical activities and the focus of this podcast series, interviews with expert speakers from a range of backgrounds, including famous actors, social entrepreneurs, government ministers and many more. These interviews are run by young people like myself. So if you have any questions or want to get involved, please reach out to us on any social media platform. Just look for Judge BHQ and message us. We have so many exciting guests for you to listen to and we hope you'll join us live very soon. For now though, join us through our catalogue of guests. Today's guest is American television writer and producer, Phil Rosenthal. Sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy. But now it's time for our very, very special guest. Phil Rosenthal is an American writer, producer, and TV personality. Best known for his role in creating Everyone Loves Raymond and his hit Netflix show, Somebody Feed Phil. Born to a Jewish family and raised in Queens, New York, Phil was passionate about theatre from a young age, attending his local school drama club and then on to studying theatre. Through much of the early 1980s, Phil tried his hand as an actor before moving to Hollywood, shifting his focus to production work, becoming a writer and producer for shows such as Coach with Craig T. Nelson. But it was in 1996 when Phil met comedian Ramo Romano that he would have his biggest success by creating the much-loved sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond, which was nominated for over 70 Emmy Awards. Phil remains as an occasional actor, appearing in projects such as The Simpsons Movie, 30 Rock and Curb Your Enthusiasm, featuring, of course, our previous Jaljuri virtual guest, the hilarious Jeff Garland. He has also written, directed, and produced a range of high-profile events such as directing President Bill Clinton in a White House Correspondents' Dinner video and also co-writing the 9-11 telethon America, a tribute to our heroes, which raised money to help victims and their families, particularly the New York City firefighters and police officers. In recent years, Phil has then since gone on to host shows of his own, such as I'll Have What Phil Is Having and the brilliant Netflix Somebody Feed Phil where he gets to travel the world exploring different food cultures and which this week he announced the much anticipated fourth season will air in October. So, what a week to have Phil join us. We are so privileged that he has found the time to come and speak to us despite his very busy schedule. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, all the way from Los Angeles, California, please welcome tonight's very special guest, Phil Rosenthal. Good evening, Phil. Happy New Hello. Year. Nice to see everybody. How are you? Good, Sydney. How are you? 
I'm very good, thank you. Um, how's lockdown been for you and your family? Oh, you know, I, I think I'm very lucky because I have a house and I have a family and I have, I did something very smart. The day we went into lockdown, just by chance, we adopted a dog. Oh. And I recommend this to everybody because you're never going to have this time again to bond with and train your dog. So we got a 10 week old puppy named Murray. And if you go on my Instagram, you can see the daily Murray. He's a big star, my dog now. And <laughs> it, it's uh, been one of the great joys of our life. It's such, you know, he saved us, I think, from, from uh, you know, a very terrible time in the world. And we, we have the love of this beautiful animal. Oh, well, maybe we can see him later. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, text my wife in the other room and see if I can get him in here for a, a, sneak, a sneak appearance, a guest appearance. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so we're really pleased to have you on our JLGB virtual program tonight as we Thank celebrate you. 125 years of JLGB. We've been boosting positivity and keeping children and their families active, healthy and entertained for 26 solid weeks now since lockdown began and seen by over 1.8 million people, thanks to the help of a special guest, like you, helping us each evening. So apart from our CEO, Neil, pestering you a lot, why is it important for you to join us this evening? Well, I just love everything that you guys are about and I wanted to be here. Well, we're happy that you are here. Thank you. Um, Sorry, I, so just texted, I just texted to see if Murray is uh, available. We'll see. He's very busy, Murray. He's got a lot to do. <laughs> busy dog, busy schedule. Yes. So, as you would have seen earlier, we're all about acts of kindness here at JLGB, and we always ask our guests what they've been doing to help others. So, is there a particular act of kindness that you've been doing to help others during this pandemic? Yes. Uh, I joined with, I don't know if you've heard of the World Central Kitchen. Uh, not sure. Jose Andres, Jose Andres, the famous chef, started the World Central Kitchen, and he goes to disasters around the world, whether it's a, an earthquake or a fire or, or a hurricane, and he'll set up in this community in, or, or in, a, in, a, in a country that, or in a state like Puerto Rico, set up camp there. Even before the emergency services get there, Jose and his World Central Kitchen people are there, and they employ restaurant workers to feed the people. And so my wife and I have decided to match every donation to World Central Kitchen during this time. And, and we, are, we are doing that. So that's my little act of kindness that I'm working on. I try to do lots of acts of kindness. I feel like if you're lucky enough to have had your life turn out well, you got to give back something. I mean, that's the, the, for me, the great joy in having what I have is to share. Give back to the community. Yes. Um, so let's go back to, to the very beginning, if you don't mind me asking. Um, can you tell us about your childhood um, growing up Jewish in New York? Did you have kind of like JLGB, like youth opportunities that helped shape you? And were you always drawn to entertainment and theatre, or were there other careers on the cards? Well, here's the thing. I, I was, uh, and tell me if any of you identify with this, I was uh, not given a choice about Hebrew school. 
I grew up in a uh, religious conservative environment. My parents grew up very orthodox. And my mother, in fact, was a, a Holocaust survivor. So we were already one step under orthodox. We were conservative. And that caused uh, my mom a, a little bit of friction in, in the family already because they took it down a notch, right? So I was raised conservative. And I have to be honest, I did not like going to Hebrew school. I thought regular school was a punishment and Hebrew school was a punishment on top of the punishment. <laughs> and I was bar mitzvahed and I, uh, uh, you know, right then and there said I had enough. Now, I only tell you that to tell you that since then, I believe I've had a spiritual life, if not a completely religiously devoted life. In other words, I do not attend synagogue very often, but I do fast on Yom Kippur. And I like to believe that my values that were instilled from my parents and their Jewish, my Jewish upbringing, their Jewish upbringing, and the values of Jewish, the Jewish religion are within me, and I tried to live them, right? Oh, yeah. But I can also say that I truly believe that the, the tenets, the basic tenets of our religion are found in all the religions. And there isn't one that's better than any other. And I believe if everyone just subscribed to the basic tenets of their religion, they're all pretty much the same. It all gets down to that golden rule, right? Do unto others. And if we all live by that one rule, forget everything else even, I think we'd be a little better, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then were you always, were you always drawn to entertainment and theater? Yes. My dad was very funny. My mother's funny too. But if you've ever seen them on the show when I Skype with them, uh, my mother has since passed, by the way. But, but my dad especially, very funny, always has a joke, always, always laughing. In our house, we were either yelling or laughing. And, <laughs> and that, that's kind of how I grew up. That was the currency of, of our communication, of how we got along and how we still get along now with my children. Uh, I think that a sense of humor is humans' most underrated trait. I, I believe that it's, when you think about it, it's how you pick your friends, right? Mm. Who do we laugh with? Who do we laugh with? They don't have to have my exact sense of humor, but they have to appreciate mine and I have to appreciate theirs. And I think it's not only how we pick our friends, I'll go one step further. I think it's who you marry, right? That's yeah. the most important thing. It's what's kept me married for 30 years. It's what's kept my wife from killing me. <laughs> is that we laugh together. That's the secret to life, everybody. Mm, yeah, at a very early age, I was into it. And I, all I wanted to do was get laughs. So I would, you know, the only kind of legal way to do that in school is to join the theater department. Otherwise they throw you out of class, right? <laughs> so I, I would, I joined the theater group and, and that carried me all the way through school and even college. That's what I majored in was theater. Oh, wow. I didn't know that I would, be a writer but it turned out I guess I had an affinity for that so I wrote and I got lucky and I got hired in, in Hollywood on TV shows and got to create Everybody Loves Raymond and that took me for nine years and then after that I was kind of you know out there wondering what's next and I said you know what I really want to do is this this travel and this food 
I think it's a great way to bring people together. But we can get into that later. I'm sure there's there's other things. Definitely. Um. Yeah. I never realized kind of how important humor is, but you are right. Like everything stirs from humor. Absolutely, it makes life worth living, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> completely. Um. So your father fled Germany after Kristallnacht, but That's your right. mother and her family were sent to a concentration camp. That's right. So how do you think this kind of impacted you as you grew up and how much has it defined your identity if of course you're happy to share their stories? It, 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 it was, it's rough as a kid. There's even support groups for children of Holocaust survivors because you get the residual uh, effects of what happened to them. I'll give you an example. When I was 10 years old, all the kids on my block, they had a, a, a five-speed bicycle, right? The, the new thing. I said, hey, mom, could I have the five-speed bicycle for my birthday? And she said, do you know what I got when I was 10 years old? And what I had to listen to was the story of the concentration camp. Now, that's a lot for a 10-year-old. And a 10-year-old doesn't really want to hear that story. The 10-year-old just wants the bike, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by uh, uh, it being a little bit difficult. Now, certainly, I didn't go through what they went through. And certainly, the story should be told. But we don't always know how to express it, how to say it right, how to teach it so that it can be heard in the right way. Since then, of course, there have been so many brilliant things like Schindler's List when that, you know, if, if that, but I, I wouldn't show Schindler's List to a 10-year-old. I think I, I think you got to wait until someone's mature enough to hear the story. By the way, terrible story. You don't want to know that people are like this. You want to you show your children that the world is beautiful. I'm speaking as a father now. I don't want to show my children that there is such evil in the world, but for their own protection, you have to. Yeah. You know, this is what this is this is what life is. Uh, you know, the good and the bad exist out there, and you have to be ready for both. Uh, I'm I'm glad that my parents have given me such an education. I was very lucky to have these parents. And I think, I'm, I'd like to think that I've carried their values forward. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Um, so this one might seem like an odd question, but I'm sure many people are kind of thinking it. But what exactly is a TV producer? So we always see in the term, like in the credits of every show oh. and movie ever made. But what does it kind of really involve? I'm sure it's meant oh. like very multifaced. So many producers, right? You see the credits. How, how can there be so many producers? So yeah. in, in when they're paying you, meaning the, the, the network, right, or the studio, producer is a title. On a sitcom, for instance, when you see all these producers, executive producers, supervisor producers, regular producers, co-producers, it all means writer. It's just various levels of writer. So oh. if you've been there one year, you're a story editor. If you've been there two years, you might get up to co-producer. Three years, you might be producer, then supervisor producer, then co-executive producer, then executive producer. 
you know, by the end of Everybody Loves Raymond, everyone was an executive producer because we were there nine years, right? But then there's only one guy and they don't even have this title on the thing because there's no word for it other than showrunner. So in other words, if I created the show and I ran the show and I was the boss, my, the term the, the, was showrunner. Right. It would be king executive producer if it was a title. <laughs> um, so then what kind of made you move up from kind of being an actor to then a writer yeah. to Easy. When I was an actor, I had to eat uh, tuna fish for dinner every night. And when I was a writer, I ate whatever I wanted because, <laughs> I, could, because I got a job doing it. That's why. I didn't realize, you know, as an actor, all actors are writers in a way. In other words, let's say you have a script. In the script, it says, uh, hello, honey, how are you? And then there's a, there's a little thing in parentheses before it called the internal, which is how you say it. Mm -hmm. che cheery. So it says, Phil, cheery. Hi, honey, how are you? Which you then would say as an actor, hi, honey, how are you? Right? Now, if it doesn't say anything, it's actor's choice. How are you going to say that? To be angry. Hi, honey, how are you? Right? Be mad, right? There's a million ways to say any line. The actor is writing the attitude. Mm. Well, it turns out that that attitude is actually the most important part of the writing. What the character is feeling and thinking is actually more important than what he's actually saying. Because I can convey that I'm mad with any line, but the choice to be mad in the scene is actually more pertinent to the scene than the words. Does that make sense? Makes complete sense. That's really interesting. Never thought so of it. I didn't realize it, but that was writing. And we're all writing every day. We're writing right now, you and me. Yeah. Right? I don't know what I'm going to say. I just wrote that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you're, of course, though, best known for creating the hilarious sitcom Everyone Loves Raymond as the producer and co-writer of the series, alongside its star, Ray Romano. How did you guys kind of first meet and how did the project come about? Did you always know that you had a hit on your hand? Um, you based the show on a combination of his Italian family and your Jewish family. So yeah, it how turns out we're not so different. Yeah, so how close were you kind of drawing on real life experiences? And are any episodes kind of lifted straight from your own life experiences that you can share? Only about 90% of everything <laughs> you saw came from something that happened to me or to Ray or to one of the other writers. And, and I'm not kidding. And when we first met, you know, the way it works in Hollywood is writers are looking for comedians or funny people to write a show for, and they, in turn, are looking for writers. <laughs> so we were set up on kind of a blind date, and we met for lunch at a deli, and uh, he started telling me stories about his crazy Italian family. And for every story he had, I had one about my Fakata Jewish family. And, and it turned out that we're not so different. My joke is that, you know, all problems are solved with food and, and your mother never leaves you alone. So we had that in common. And he started telling me about his actual life. And it turns out that his actual life was kind of perfect to base the show on. And then what I didn't know about the character of the, his family, I filled in with the 
personalities in my family. And that's how I created the, the world of the show and, and, and the pilot script, the first script. And that was taken, you know, a lot of it was taken right from my life, including a, 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 a story about how I sent my parents something. I don't know if you have this there called Fruit of the Month Club. Do you have that? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. So once a month, you'd get a box of different fruit. Oh, okay. Right? As a gift, you send it to somebody. Right. And when I sent it to my parents, they freaked out. They couldn't believe that they were getting fruit every month. They, it was a, she called me, my mother called me and said, did you know a box of pears came? And I said, yeah. The, do you like them? I don't know what I'm going to do with all these pears, she said. I said, you eat them. You, uh, how many pears can I eat? Don't, please don't ever send me food again. I said, well, there's another box coming next month. She said, what, more pears? And I said, no, a different box every month. She said, every month. She freaked out. I can't talk anymore. There's too much fruit in the house. So I put that in the show. And that, that story turns out to have been the thing that got us on the air because they thought people, it just, they related to it. They, mm -hmm. I didn't realize it, but the more specifically you write about your life, the more universal it becomes because all of us deal in specifics. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, that going. and if you work for me, I would say to you, go home, get in a fight with your spouse and come back in and tell me about it. <laughs> And that was the show. Ah, thank you. Sure. Um, I'm going to stop speaking for a minute and we're going to go to some audience questions. I love it. Let me see the audience. <laughs> so our first one is from Josh. Hi, Hi so Josh. I, hello, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. I think it kind of leads quite nicely onto my question, talking about food and everything. Um, so, because most of us know you today, um, and mainly thanks to, you know, your shows relating to food, I'll have what Phil's having, and of course, your, your net hit flicks, uh, net hit, oh, hit flicks, that's a better title. Uh, you know, your Netflix hit show, Somebody Feeds Phil. So, okay. kind of, how did these come about? Has food always been a big part of your life? Did you grow up in a family for the food? Because I suppose when you, when I get down to the heart of the question, what I'm really asking is, like most Jewish families, was your mother a feeder? <laughs> my my mother was many things. She's brilliant and funny and sweet and great. Not a not a terrific cook. Mm. Not a terrific cook. She once made for Passover. She made matzah lasagna instead of sheets of pasta, sheets of matzah. Even the cat wouldn't eat it. And so it wasn't until I left that house that I had certain flavors like garlic. I never had garlic uh, until I was in college. Imagine being 18 years old and never having had that flavor or, or food with any flavor at all, really. So at that point in my life, when I discovered flavor, I, I went, oh my God, it's like, remember the movie, The Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy opens the door and now the whole movie is in color? It was like that for me. And so I became obsessed with great food and great flavor. And it doesn't have to be fancy. You know, I get just as excited about a hot dog or, or, or a toasty as, as a four-star meal. I love it. And so when I was looking for something else to do uh, after Raymond, I tried many other 
sitcoms. They just didn't, you know, the studios didn't want them. The networks didn't want them. And I was like, well, if I'm going to bang my head against the wall, I may as well bang my head against the wall I really like. And what's that? Food and travel. So it took me 10 years to get this show. The first one was called I'll Have What Phil's Having. That was on our public television service called PBS. And I did six of those. And then here comes Netflix. And they gave me the show, Somebody Feed Phil. And for me, you know, food is the great connector. And then laughs are the cement. So it, the food is just the way in. The food and my stupid jokes are just the way in to connect with the people. Thank you. You're very Thanks. welcome. Our next question is going to come from Simone. Hi, how are you? Hi, Simone. How are you? Good. Uh, so I think this kind of leads quite nicely into my question. Great. So I get the sense in both your series, both your Netflix series, Traveling the World, Exploring Different Foods, um, that it's more about good food and it is, it's more, you know, than good food. And it's about the importance of understanding and accepting different cultures. So even before the pandemic, we seem to be living in an ever more divided world right now, especially in America where you are. So how conscious are you of the need for togetherness and can food and conversation over a meal bring peace to a fractured world? Well, I think you know the answer. You know, my joke is that if those boys from ISIS would just sit down with me and have some chocolate cake, everything would be okay, right? I just feel like if, you're, if you and I are having lunch, we never met before, we're at least not fighting. We're not, we don't want to kill each other. We're having a meal, which is what people do. We eat. We eat to survive. Now, let's say the meal is really good. We're a little bit happy. And let's say that you and I talk and we like each other a little bit and then we laugh together. Now we're friends and now we may eat again. And it's my wish that people would do this more often with people they don't know people who are different from them. Because when you eat in a restaurant or have takeout even from a culture that you're not used to and you like it, and there's always a chance you're going to like it, you now accept that culture a little more, don't you? That's, that's, you're literally taking in the culture. That's why for me, the food is very important because it's a great way to be social and learn and take in the culture at the same time. It does all those things. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, dear. Thanks, Simone. Our next question is from Greg. Come in, Greg. Oh, hi. Uh, thanks very much, Phil. Um, so my question is around coronavirus, un unfortunately. Um, the pandemic has affected two industries that you're obviously very connected to so the entertainment industry we've had theaters closing shows have stopped filming and also the the tourism industry and restaurant industry has, has also shut down a lot of restaurants so how has that affected your life and and the people that you're working with um and do you think this is going to have a long-term effect uh for the industry as a whole going forward 
it's it's been terrible. Uh, I I support many restaurants because I love the industry very much, and and uh, it's been just terrible for them because, at, especially in America, it's it's a giant uh, industry, uh, probably the second largest employer other than the government itself in the in the con in the whole country. And I think there should be a government bailout of restaurants specifically. A lot of people think this uh, hasn't happened yet. But I think it should, I think, uh, because restaurants are vital. You know, if we're not, if, if we're not careful, the only restaurants that are going to be left are the fancy schmancy expense account restaurants, right, that cost many hundreds of dollars to eat in, and McDonald's. That's going to be it. And there's not going to be any of the places that you and I love, right? The, even the, the coffee shops and the, the little mom and pop places, the little Italian place that you love to uh, eat at, or, or, or the Israeli place. Any, we need to see these are called independent restaurants that aren't part of a chain. We need to save them because that's where we live our lives. Uh, you know, like I just said to Simone, if you and I met, it would be in a cafe or a restaurant or a coffee shop, wouldn't it, if we were going to meet for the first time? That's where a lot of meetings happen. Uh, I'm fine with the Zoom. But I'll be very happy to never have a Zoom meeting again when this is over. Now, all that said, and it's been terrible, and it's going to continue to be terrible, but it is going to end. That I'm sure of. Why am I sure? Because it's ended every other time in human history. It's just going to take longer than we want it to, right? And how long is that? I'm guessing, and I am no expert, a year. From now, uh, of of this kind of life, that doesn't mean we can't go out without the mask. It doesn't mean we can't. But until a vaccine that we trust is ready, which is the will be the clear sign that it's that we we're over it because people will take the vaccine and just like the flu, it will it will have been you know the worst will be over. I think we'll still have to be a little careful for a while beyond that with the masks. I think it, it might be the end of handshakes, you know, in our lifetime. I don't know. I, I would hate, I would hate to think you can't hug anybody ever again. I don't think that's going to happen, but I want everyone to plan for their future and beyond that even plan a vacation. I would say everyone can plan a vacation for a year from now. We're all going to need it. We're all going to want to travel, and I think travel will, I think the world's going to come back. And uh, my joke is that we're all going to be so appreciative when it does. We're going to love it so much, and we're going to be so grateful for about two weeks. And then we'll be back to complaining. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, it does. Thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, Greg. We're going to go to Laura next. Hi, uh, lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, so we often ask our guests um, what is their favourite musicals, uh, but I hear you have a particular love uh, for Mary Poppins. Uh, oh. What is it about the musical Julia, Julia Andrews and the backdrop of Edwardian London that you love so much? You know, that movie came out, I'm much older. That came out when I was four. So it hit me at the right time. And I made every adult in my life 
separately take me to the movie. I think I must have seen it six times that year in the theater, right? There was no streaming or, you know, it wasn't on TV. You could only see the movie theater. And I just wanted to live in that world with that magical, sweet, beautiful Julie Andrews, who at four years old, I knew that I was going to marry her. It was just a magical, funny, beautiful place to be was in that movie. And it wasn't until I was older that I could marvel at the construction of the film as a film. It's beautifully written, really funny, great characters, a great message that you don't even realize you're getting while it's going on because you're so busy being entertained, right? And yes, all the songs were great too. And I listened to the record over and over and over. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks, Laura. We're going to go to Emily next. Hi there. Hi there. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, so my question was actually about your dog, Murray, which um, is an in he is now an Instagram highlight. Um, mm. Are you able to meet him? I can't. I'm, let me see on my, um, I, if anybody's home. If they will answer me, I don't know who's home. Yeah, I wrote to my wife, but you know, if she's busy, I can't. I would have to like, I would have to leave and go find him, which I don't think I should do because I would be leaving you for several minutes. Uh, but do we have, there is a chance before we're done here that we, he'll make an appearance. I can't. Right, and what's the second part of my question? As um, is it true that you only got him just before uh, Corona here? Hit, yes. And how has it helped you get through all this time? I said at the beginning that, that this is, has totally saved us because we have this thing to focus on, this beautiful thing, this dog that we love. Let me show you, since I don't have him in the room, let me just show you a funny, a nice picture. Hold on. Let's see. Do I have a nice, good picture? With that. Look at that boy. How do you not love this boy? Look at that. Oh, that face. <laughs> so cute. There he is. That's Murray. What a cutie pie. He's part Great Pyrenees and part Shepherd. And he's a total rescue hound. And uh, like I said, he rescued us. Oh, thank you. Thank you, dear. Thanks, Emily. Our final audience question is going to come from Alfie. Hi Phil, how are you? Hello Alfie. Uh, so you're a big TV and movie buff and historian. <clears throat> Is it true you've held a pizza and Phil night every Saturday, every Sunday to show classic movies since you were 15 years old? That's absolutely oh, right. Yeah? <laughs> every, every Sunday that I'm here in town, I do it. And it started when I was 15 because uh, we had something called uh, uh, HBO. <laughs> that yeah. came out when I was 15. And every, I think it was Saturday night, then I would have my junior high friends come over because we could see an uncut, uncensored, uninterrupted film, an R-rated film. You have, you have R ratings in, in England? Yeah. You know what that is? An adult film, right? Where we could maybe see something naughty. And this, for us, was the great... This was unbelievable. We couldn't believe it. And then we would order pizza. And then through the years, you know, 
the TV got a little bigger and then here comes VCRs and you could now take whatever movie you want and watch it. And I just kept this up. Even when I moved out of my parents' house and in college, I had it, people would come over and we would watch movies. So now that I, I have a little money, I have a big kitchen with the wood burning oven in the kitchen and we make the pizzas from a, from a great pizzeria. They come and they make beautiful pizzas and then I have a screening. Uh, I turned my living room into a screening room wow. and we have digital projection, 4K laser projection and we are able to get first run movies by permission wow. from each studio because I'm in the business. This is a courtesy and I'm telling you, it's been one of the highlights of my life to be able to do this. We even have the filmmakers come. Yeah, and, so and, you have the, uh, the actual stars now joining you in your absolutely. own house. Absolutely. It's so much fun. So much fun. And, uh, you know, it, I would never do it if it was just for me. But yeah. to be able to share it with friends and family, and it's educational, it's fun, it's delicious, it's social it's everything and of course during the pandemic i can't do it <laughs> right but what my daughter did my daughter is about your age she started something she picked it up from me so she'll send out a memo to her friends watch this movie this week and then let's all zoom just like this and we'll have a discussion and she will ask me do i know the filmmaker of this movie sometimes i do and we call and then they join us on the Zoom, and it, we have the same exact thing where people get to ask questions just like this, and, and the filmmaker or the star of the movie talks to us. Wow. Yeah. So who has been your favorite guest? My favorite guest? Yeah. I've had many, many favorite guests. Uh, you know who Peter O'Toole is? It's a little before your time. No, I don't know. He played Lawrence of Arabia. Let me think of someone younger that you would know. Uh, you saw the you saw the social network, Aaron yes. Sorkin. You know who Aaron yeah. Sorkin is. So he came with that wow. movie. The the before it opened, even he came. And, wow. and did that. He was unbelievable. Learned a lot from him. Uh, we've had uh, Mark Wahlberg came with a movie, the the Fighter, that was excellent. And Amy Adams. Uh, on on our Zoom, we did we just did Catherine O'Hara. Uh, right. she was great. We we've had a lot of wonderful Pat Oswalt, the voice of Remy in Ratatouille. Wow, a good friend. Okay. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of Hollywood people. But it's it's wonderful, and to share it with with uh, others is the main thing. Of course, of course. Thank you very much. And before I go, my mum's insisted that she um that she tells you that she loves every somebody feeds Phil. Yeah, oh, uh, told you. me to say that. <laughs> thank you. Well, the new season comes out on 30 October. Very nice, very nice. Thank you very much. Okay, my friend. Thank you, Alfie. Um, so just a couple more questions from me, if that's all right. Of course, anything you want. Um, the legends of stage and screen that you are rightly passionate about are all but forgotten to our generation. But you've met and worked with so many of the greatest ever including Peter O'Toole, George Burns, Jerry Lewis, Walter Matthau, Peter Boyle, and the recently passed Carl Reiner, and yes. still strong at 98 years old, the incredible Norman Lear. Yes. If you were to share your must-watch actors and comedians with the next generation, 
who would they be and what should films or shows should we binge watch wow well you just mentioned them right if you if you if you guys just take that down it's wonderful uh walter Matthau is one of my favorites he's so funny and you can see him in in many movies let's see the odd couple the sunshine boys um uh grumpy old men uh oh the bad news bears these are great movies uh let's see what else peter o'toole you can see him of course in lawrence of arabia one of the most famous movies ever made and a movie called The Stuntman, and a very funny movie called My Favorite Year, which I love. Uh, oh my goodness, this is a big question. I mean, there's so many, we could be here for an hour, but that'll be a separate day where we have film class. <laughs> Definitely, these will all go on the watch list to Good. watch while you're stuck at home. <laughs> Great. Um, What's next for you then? Muzzle Tov, of course, on announcing this week's season four of Somebody Feeds Bill. Yes. But what does the future hold in store for you? I hear you're starring in The Simpsons in a few days' time. I'm not starring. I have a couple of lines, but they drew me. Hold on, let me see. I think I have the picture here somewhere. It's hilarious. Have you ever been made a cartoon? <laughs> a no. Simpsons cartoon? <laughs> I, I take it as a high honor. <laughs> to be Simpsonized, right? So this is, can you see this? That's, that's me. Oh, wow. At Moe's Bar, having a, a pickled egg that's been on that counter for many, many years. I think it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't go well. But that's the season premiere of The Simpsons this Sunday. And they put me in. I've, I, I taped it about seven months ago, and then I forgot about it. So today, when they announced it, I was like, oh, I'm done. My, my own kids, they, they were like, you're on The Simpsons, wow. <laughs> now I'm famous. Very cool. Um, these are unprecedented times still, though, and the physical, mental health, and economic impacts may affect us all for still some time to come. But do you have hope for the future, and what positives do you think are going to come out of this strange time that we're living in? Well, as I answered a, a young man earlier, I do believe that this will end. You know, it's hard to see it now because we're in the middle of it. And we can't, you know, that expression, you can't see the forest for the trees. We will get through this because we've gotten through everything else. It, and we will be okay. And the world will be returned to us. Now, I'd like to hope that we're going to appreciate what we have. We're going to appreciate that the world is delicate and that our own health is delicate. And we have to be more careful. That means paying attention to climate change, right? And caring for our environment and caring for each other. There's enough things out there that, that could hurt us. We don't have to help, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, we, wanna, we, wanna, we wanna help make things better, not worse. And we will. Will be an end. <laughs> yeah. So finally, we always ask our guests to nominate and ask another celebrity or community leader to be a future guest on our program and help entertain all the children and young people stuck at home. So if you've enjoyed tonight's experience, and we very much hope you have, who would you like to nominate tonight? Do you think you might be able to convince another comedian to join us? Perhaps the fellow Raymond cast member Brad Garrett or Paston Oswald? 
It's very possible. I can ask. You know who I heard from today is a friend of mine named Fran Drescher. Do you know who Fran Drescher is? The nanny? Did you get that show in, in England? Um, well, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Maybe you didn't. But it's a, a very funny show, and she's wonderful. But yes, I'll ask anybody you like, because this is a very nice thing to do. So I'm happy to spread the word. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so thank you, Phil, so much for joining us this evening and for inspiring us all. We have absolutely loved hearing about your amazing career and experience and about your thoughts regarding this crazy time. Good luck with all that comes next, and we're really excited to see your next few adventures, be it via international travel or just watching you have an Uber Eats home delivery. Stay oh. safe, take care, have a great new year, and we hope to see you again very soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Sydney. Thank you. And that's it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. We hope you've all enjoyed this week's virtual. Wishing all of you, of course, a very happy new year, and we hope you have a good job before and fast well. Thank you so much for listening to Jersey Virtual. We are live. Take care of yourselves and stay safe, and we shall see you again soon.